Welcome to another episode of the Back, the Hockey History Podcast, where we evaluate NHL players' cases for the Hall of Fame. My name is Riley. I'm with Bill. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing all right, thanks. And today we uh, have the class of 1990, and unlike the last two classes, this one is only three players. They are Fern Flamen, a defenseman from the uh, 40s and 50s, and Bill Barber, the... uh, Flyers left winger and Gilbert Perrault, the uh, famous, um, I guess, in some probably greatest saver of all time, right? Except for maybe Pat LaFontaine. Um, yeah. yeah it's, or uh, or Hashik. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> but forward-wise, greatest saver of all time, with along with LaFontaine, probably. Um, and we're going to start off with Fern Flamen, uh, a defenseman who uh, played from 1944 to 1961, so 17 seasons. 14 of those in our estimation are quality, but we're really guessing. Um, he was uh, the 14th defenseman all-time in assists at his retirement with only 174, uh, 174, which gives you an idea of how little they scored. And he was 18th all-time in points among defensemen with only 208 points. He's a minus 16, but that literally is like the last two years of his career, so we have no idea. And he played 911 games, which was the six most games of any skater at his retirement, second defenseman. And he was also 18th in point shares among defensemen at his retirement and seventh all-time in defensive point shares, again, at his retirement. So, you know, by that metric, he was one of the top 10 defensemen ever, but who the hell knows what that means. He was obviously not drafted. So era-wise, of the 11D to play in at least 656 games, eight modern seasons between 44 and 61, Flamen is 10th in goals, but that's second last. 10th in assists, but that's second last. Or sorry, in goals for him, but that's second last. 7th in assists, 8th uh, in points. And again, he's basically third last in assists per game, and he's last in points per game. But he doesn't qualify for any of these actual leaderboards because he just didn't score enough. Um, and he's 10th in offensive point share, so again, second last. 6th in plus minus, but we're talking about a time when most most of those games didn't. There was no plus minus calculated. Fifth in defensive point shares, eighth in point shares, and second in games played. That is not a lot to tell us because one thing we do know about defensemen at the time is that they didn't score very much. So the fact that he didn't score very much doesn't really mean anything. Um, and just compared to other defensemen, it also doesn't mean anything because he also he clearly played a lot. Like he's second in games despite being one of the worst, you know, offensive defensemen of that group of eleven guys. His 82-game average is 20 points, which should not surprise us. And his three-year peak is uh, 29 points. And I forgot to write down how many games that was, but I think it's 70. 29 points per 70 games. So really not a guy who scored a lot. His playoff numbers are are low, as you would expect. 12 points in 63 games. Error-wise, of the 22 defensemen to play in at least 41 playoff games between 44 and 61, he's... Right in the middle of the pack, actually. So he has better playoff numbers relative to his competition. He's 11th in goals, 13th in assists, and 14th in points, whereas he was basically last um, in regular season stuff um, and 8th in playoff games. So he he actually scored more, relatively speaking, in the playoffs. And who knows why that is? We were not alive. Uh, the hockey reference adjustment. Uh, our, our, our parents weren't alive. That's how. I mean, yeah, like my my mom my mom was born four years into his career, five years into his career. Uh, my dad was born in his first season. Yeah. So. <laughs> um. Yeah. Good point. Uh, the hockey reference error adjustment. Uh, 
bumps him up only four points to 24 points for 82 games, so very low again. He does not qualify for the versus X adjustment because he didn't score, and they do that based on scoring. Uh, he was traded twice, and they are, you know, well, they're they're at least one of the trades is is seemingly fairly big. Uh, it he was traded at 23 with Leo Bovin, uh Phil Maloney, and Ken Smith to Toronto for Bill Azinki and Vic Lynn. I know two of those names that are familiar to me. Um, no, I don't think any of them are. Or I don't even know if I pronounce his his name right. But uh, <laughs> what do you, Boivin? How would you pronounce? Yeah, in French, Boivin. Boivin. Sorry. Um, I think Boivin is in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So basically, of those guys, Boivin is in the Hall of Fame. Nobody else is. Um, Boivin played more than uh, Lehman did, but Boivin also started his career seven years later. And, you know, basically, with time, careers got longer. So that's not really on either of them. Um, but it, that's, it's sort of a, it's, it's one that's really hard to evaluate without going in and breaking it all down, knowing very little about these players. Um, and then four years later, he was traded to Boston for, back to Boston, I should say, um, for, uh, Dave Crichton. So not like the biggest trades in the world, but funny that he was traded. He basically was on the Bruins, then on the Leafs and then back on the Bruins again. Um, so the Norris, of course, only existed for a chunk of his career, like the end of it, basically the last, I don't know, third of his career or so. And he has uh, top five. He's top five in Norris voting five times. So we don't know much about this guy. We don't know much about how he, a player he was. And certainly we know he didn't score much. But his peers clearly thought highly of him because in his last seven seasons, he received five top five Norris vote uh, nominations. You know, and presumably had the yeah. Norris existed as long as the heart, he might have had more than that. And that is a lot. That uh, is a lot. So it is worth thinking about that when we think about his case, because, like, that's, I mean, it's impressive. Um, he was a top ten defensive player by defensive point shares four times. He also had three second all, all-star team appearances now, I don't know, actually, off the top of my head, when the All-Star team was introduced. It was introduced in 31. So what's really weird about this is he never, he had never made an All-Star team, end-of-season All-Star team, until his late 20s when he got his first, when the Norris came in and he got his first Norris nomination. So I don't know what that's about. Um, I don't know if he got better as a player as it went on, but like weirdly his all-star team nominations coincide with his Norris votes and the all-star team existed before, but the Norris didn't. So, uh, I don't know what that means. Maybe he just, maybe he got better. Maybe it was like, or maybe the return, there was something about the return to Boston because it all starts when he returns to Boston is when he suddenly becomes one of the most acclaimed defensemen in the league. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe somebody who was always beating him out for the all-star retired and then he started to get them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't know where those voting records are available online, so I have not seen them. Um, but I think that's a really good theory, Bill, is is that maybe someone retired and he, he sudden and they were like, oh, it's this guy now who's like the better defense. Because this is like uh, the early years, the Norris is when uh, Red Kelly was winning. And yeah. Um, and so obviously Red Kelly had a huge edge on someone like Flamin because Kelly was scoring like, I don't know, four times <laughs> points or yeah. something. 
Yeah, it's also one of those things, too, that um, I think maybe doesn't happen as much in the NHL now, but used to. I think even as even as um, recently as like during, uh, you know, our lifetimes during the 90s, where uh, veteran players got a lot more um, accolades, like yeah. people just sort of they they, they they had sort of, you know, um, earned the respect of everyone around the league, including the referees. So they'd get some good calls, they'd get more votes. Like you sort of built your reputation yeah. as like sort of you know this guy is great. Therefore, we we're always going to put him in the Norris. Be like, yeah, he didn't even have that good of a season. Yeah, but he's that guy. Like, yeah, it makes you think of Lidstrom's last Norris that he won, where he's like minus three. And I mean. He's still Lidstrom. He was he was a really good defenseman right up until he retired. But I don't know that he had a rock solid case that one year. But based on his reputation, he's still Nicholas Lidstrom. He's still going to get votes, right? Like and and this this tracks because if we look at his All Star game appearances as well. Now the All Star game is not not as old as the All Star teams, but the All Star game appearances start two years before he starts getting the second team All Star votes and Norris like he was his last couple years in Toronto is when he starts getting going to the all-star game so it definitely feels like he he earned some respect or something and 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 was you're right Bill getting like acknowledgement for maybe perhaps a little bit for his career um rather than his individual seasons especially since like oh no the actually the minus tracking started the year after his last Norris votes. So anyway, um, so of course he doesn't qualify for the versus X peak adjustment, uh, and so lastly we just have his uh, his great teams. He was the best skater on a Leafs team uh, by points, of course, by a Le- on a Leafs team that uh, you know lost in the first round, but which we now call Final Four because it was one of the last four of the six teams remaining. Um, that's so it's kind of fun. I don't know. It was fluky that he, he was leading a team in points. And then he was the best D on two different runners up the 57, 58 Bruins and one other Bruin team that uh, didn't, that only made the semifinals, which again, first round of the playoffs back then. And he was a top two D by points on one champion, the 51 Leafs. But we have no idea uh, what he actually played because, of course, this is a low scoring guy. So he might have been playing the most minutes on the team for all we know. Uh, but we, it's just not reflected in the points because we have no ice time from, you know, before the late 90s. So we have no ice time for the 51 Leafs. So that's it. That's the resume. Um, and uh, unlike most of the previous old timers we've talked about in the last like six or seven episodes, I am not outraged by this because honestly, I just don't have enough information to have an opinion. I feel like. Um, but if I had to have one, it would be sure. Keep him in. Cause he's got those top five Norris nominations for like five straight years. You know, do you have strong feelings? I don't have strong feelings. I definitely don't. I don't see him getting, you know, getting the boot from the hall of fame as currently constructed. Um, I, I don't know that we would have put him into our like ideal superstars only kind of hall of fame that we usually talk about but um i don't know like you it's really hard to know and you almost have to trust the voters of that day even though we've seen examples of like why would you do that but yeah um, it's like if if it's consistent for sort of that back end of his career 
you have to figure that he, you know, he was uh, one of at least one of the better defensemen of his era, um, pretty consistently, you know. And that, and I, I think maybe that theory of, you know, Red Kelly and other guys were just way ahead of him earlier in his career, and then he finally started to get his due towards the end once you know they realized, oh, he's only going to play a few more years, and he's really good and just sort of underrated. Um, so, like, so to give you an example in his first, the first year. Uh, that he was nominated for a Norris, which was not actually the first year the Norris existed. It might have been the second or the third. Harvey won. Uh, then Red Kelly came in second, and then Flamin came in third. So yeah. if if we're trusting these people, and as you pointed out, maybe we shouldn't, maybe we should, we're not sure. These people are saying he's, you know, among a pretty elite company there. That Those are the two best defensemen of the era. Um and he's beating out Bob Golden. Uh, and so, I mean, that's, you know, now he, he gets trounced in the votes by Harvey in particular, but also Kelly, but he's still number three. And in his other top three finishes, um, it's, uh, let me see, it's Doug Harvey and Kelly again in uh, in 57, which is not a surprise. And he does, he gets less trounced, somewhat less trounced. And he's beating out Bill Gadsby and Doug Moans. And then um, his last top three finish, um, Doug Harvey and Bill Gadsby beat him out in the votes, and he came in third again, obviously, uh, and he beats out uh, Marcel Pronovost. So, you know, um, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Ron Stewart was nominated for the Norris? I thought Ron Stewart was a forward. That's bizarre. Anyway, that's a whole maybe other play, thing. Maybe he played both. Yeah, maybe he played both. Um, anyway, um, you know, so every time he, he came in third, he came in third to two Hall of Famers. Well, except for Gatsby that one time, cause I'm not sure Gatsby's in, but like still it, it looks, it looks good. It looks reasonable, you know, I mean, without having seen the guy play and knowing anything. And it was a different time, right? Like people were not, defensemen were not scoring very much unless they were Red Kelly or Pillow a few years later, but, yeah. um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with it. Seems fine to me. Yep. All right. So up next we have Bill Barber uh, of Broad Street Bullies fame. He played from 1972 to 1982. That's uh, sorry, 84. Should I say 84? I'm pretty sure. Uh, 12 seasons, all quality. Uh, he was 17th all time in goals at his retirement with 420, and he was 24th all time in points. Um, with 883, and he did it in 903 games, so not quite a point per game. It's worth noting he's a left wing, and so if I had bothered to look up his stats left wing-wise, he would be way, way up there on the all-time left wing list at his retirement. He's also plus 312, which was 15th all-time in his retirement. Um, he was also 25th all-time in goals per game at his retirement, which is decent. He was drafted in 1972. Um, which is a draft that I feel like we've been talking somewhat about. I clicked on the wrong link, though. But, um, in the past, this is the Billy Harris draft. Um, so actually, it's the pre the one after that that we've been talking about, I think, or the one before. Anyway, um, he looks pretty good in his draft. He is second in goals um, by only four to Steve Shutt, and he actually played fewer games than Steve Shutt. Uh, he's first in assists by 13, ahead of Peter McNabb. Uh, so, 
and again, played fewer ga- uh, games than Peter McNabb did. And then he's first in points ahead of Steve Shutt by 50-ish, slightly more than 50. And he's, uh, again, played, you know, third of a season less than uh, Steve Shutt did. And uh, he is also a couple of point shares ahead of Steve Shutt. So he looks in some ways like the best forward in his draft, if not the absolute best player. Um, he doesn't have a lot of, they're not like, this is, this is uh, the goalies are, you know, uh, in the air on um, Richard Berder, Michelle, the Like it's, it's not a great, it's not a good draft. Um, and uh, basically it does feel as though uh, Bill Barber might be the best player, you know, depending on how you feel about Steve Shunt. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, seems hard in the pun, pretty open shot. Um, <laughs> Era wise of the 20 skaters to play in at least 820 games between 72 and 84, uh, Barber's fourth in goals, seventh in assists and sixth in points. So he's top six, top four, top six player, depending on what thing you're looking at. And he is also, uh, fifth and plus minus and seventh in games. And I didn't check the point shares for some reason. I don't know why, uh, but point shares, he would be up there too. Um, so, you know, um, not quite a top five player, but almost, and remembering again that he is a left wing and left wings score, historically left wings score less. Generally speaking, this is a little, like it's, it's clear to me that, you know, he's, he's got, he's got a few more accomplishments than someone like Clark Gillis does, at least individually. So, his 82-game average is 80 points, plus 28, so, you know, pretty good. Not quite point per game, but... And his three-year peak from 73 to 76 is 86 points, so not much better, actually. But a crazy plus 52, um, which is just... And that is 86 points per, like, 80, 80 games, not 82, I think. But still, like, not... His peak isn't very much higher than his... Like he was, he was more of a consistent player, I'd say, than a lot of the players we're talking about. It is worth noting that his two best seasons are six years apart. So as usual, the three-year peak is not quite fair. Playoffs, he was 13th all-time in goals in playoff goals as retirement, and 20th all-time in points, which is pretty impressive. Also a plus 25, 108 points in 129 games. So his points per game dropped uh, significantly in the playoffs, but of course that happens to most players. He was also 21st all-time in playoff points per game at his retirement, which is significantly higher than I was expecting it to be. Arrow-wise for the playoffs, the 48 skaters played at least 82 playoff games between 72 and 84. He's third in playoff goals, which is pretty good. Tenth in playoff assists and six in points as well as six in games and only 18th in plus-minus because he's probably competing there with some other Flyers, Sabres, and Islanders. The adjustment for era from hockey reference hurts him and bumps him down minus 12 points to 68 points per 82 games. But that is still, you know, to think of like last week with like, say somebody like Bob Pulford, it's still much, much better than that. Um, Achievement wise, he was top five in Calder voting once. Obviously it's for rookies. Uh, He was a top 10 offensive player only once, or sorry, top 10 overall player, I should say, and also a top five offensive player only once, and that is in 76, and that season he had 112 points, which is far and away his best season, like it's not even remotely close. He basically had this one year where he was, like, outstanding, and then, uh, you know, he had um, plenty of other good years, but like I said before, he doesn't have the 
sort of super inflated peak that a lot of other guys had. He made one first all-star team, which is funny given that he had some better seasons than say Clark Gillies, for example, he made two second all-star teams and he also made six all-star game appearances, just like friend Flayman. He's top five in goals once top 10 in goals per game once top 10 assists once top 10 assists per game once um, top five in points once top five in points per game once. So we're talking about a guy who had one excellent, season uh he is one of only 24 players to score 110 points at his retirement and uh he's also it's worth noting he was one of only four left wings to ever have 80 points four times at his retirement um but all of the things that he did in terms of points have been far surpassed because of when he played of course his versus x peak uh best seven seasons 130 full-time in goals he doesn't qualify for assists and 189th all-time in points so it doesn't look that great uh, but best 10 it bumps him up to 109th all-time in goals and 150th all-time in points. Um, so he won some championships. You might be aware of that. Uh, he was a top three forward on the Flyer, the 80 Flyers. He led the playoffs in goals that year, actually, in the 1980 playoffs. Um, he also was a top three forward by points on the 75 Flyers. And weirdly, he was a top nine forward by points in 74. And I don't know what happened there whether he was just playing on a different line than he did later or whether he just was snake bitten and like i i could look up his his shooting percentage and see uh, what it was and say oh it's 5.9 that's not good so it's possible that he just wasn't scoring a lot because like the next year his shooting percentage was 10.9 so um he also played had a, a small role on the uh on the canada cup team that won in 76 the first ever one um that we've i feel like we've talked about half the team in the last seven episodes because there's always yeah. a guy who was on the 76 canada cup um the, the, he, the fact he made that team says a lot right yeah it does uh and he also co-led the 1982 world championships in goals though canada only won a bronze so this is a toughie and i think automatically by sort of hemming and hawing and saying maybe Steve Shutt should be in that it means Bill Barber should be in. But like, it's hard. I really don't, on the one hand, I think because Barber's a left wing and left wings, you know, historically have scored a lot less. And I think if I had like looked at the, where he ranked as left wing all time when he retired, I think he would be up, like he would be up close to Mahovlich probably. Um, in terms of totals, anyway, I don't know off the top of my head how much Mahavlich actually scored. Um, also, like the fact that he had one, you know, one great offensive season sort of says to me, like, what are you, what are you doing? Um, but he also led the playoffs in goals once, which is not something many people do. And he led a international, another international tournament in goals, um, which is worth noting. I, I don't know. Uh, how do you feel? I, I feel like it's one of those things where his numbers don't really tell you how good how good he was and it's it's that left wing thing again right like yeah if you compare him to other left wings he looks like a fine addition but if you compare him to just forwards in general then his numbers are just like you know like what'd you say like 189th and 150th and it's like yeah yeah he's not even a top 100 player but left wings just flat out don't score as much as right wings and centers. Yeah. So it, it's hard to punish him for the position that he played. 
And, you know, he played on enough great teams that I think for sure that's what pushes him over, if anybody had any doubts. Um, to, to me, the one thing is he made that 76, like a lot of people consider that to be the greatest hockey team ever assembled. And if he made that team, he's probably, you know, even if he played on the third or fourth line, he, he's a pretty good player to have made that Team Canada, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and especially considering the league back then was, what, 80 or 90% Canadian players? Yeah. Like even even Americans hadn't really started to crack the NHL yeah. in big numbers. Yeah. So if you made that Team Canada, you were easily one of the 20 best players in the NHL, easily. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it, it, it's a tricky one. I don't think his numbers tell you how good he was, but the fact that he played on one cup runner-up uh, and they very nearly beat those Islanders and then two cup champs, um, you know, and, and and I also forgot to mention there's also he also played on um, the 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 you know the the Flyers went to the finals three times in a row in the 70s right so he was also yeah. on the the 76 Flyers but his his numbers again we don't have ice time his numbers put him as a top six forward on that team but who the hell actually knows yeah. uh, one thing I do want to mention which is very curious and I don't know how to reconcile it because of course I was not alive and so didn't watch this. Is Rick McLeish, McLeish, McLeish. McLeish. I've always said McLeish. I've always said McLeish, yeah. but I've never actually. I don't know if I've ever heard anyone who was alive at the time saying his name. Rick McLeish <laughs> led the two Stanley Cup winning Flyer teams in points in the playoffs. He scored twenty two in seventeen and twenty in in seventeen back to back seasons. He was also he led the playoffs in goals in seventy four. And he, was, he led the playoffs in plus minus in 75. Now, I understand that Bobby Clark was the one doing all the heavy lifting because it's Bobby Clark. He was perhaps the best two-way player of his era, despite also being incredibly dirty. Um, but McLeish is not in the Hall of Fame. Bill Barber is. And I find that kind of weird and i understand that mcleish was playing like i understand i my my theory is that mcleish was beating up right clark was out there playing against the other team's best center and mcleish got less like he was up against not the other team's best center and he used that to score and i also don't know how much of that was power play stuff yeah but it's interesting to me that a guy who led the playoffs two years in a row in scoring for teams that are considered kind of iconic right yes they were yeah. iconic for being dirty but they're iconic they broke <laughs> up the habs they're the yeah. only team that broke up the habs dominance well i guess the bruins did briefly too but like of the 70s that that guy is not in the hall but bar but clark's i i assume clark's winger or maybe it was mcleish's winger some of the time barber is and i don't know what to do about that but i i think it's interesting and weird that bar you know because Barber never led the playoffs in points. Now he led the playoffs yeah, and, in goals and, once, but and it's strange too because you, you don't, like you don't hear any clamoring for McLeish to be in either. Like I've yeah. never heard anybody. Oh, Rick McLeish really should be in. I've heard yeah. Reggie Leach definitely. I, like, yeah, has, same uh, here. Flyer name. Yeah, but never McLeish. Yeah, so that's that's really interesting. now McLeish was shooting preposterous amounts. He was shooting eighteen percent in both the seasons. I don't know wow. how that was going on. And. uh and you know there were a fair number of power play goals, but still, like, I don't know. I just it's just it is it's weird to me that like of the guys from those teams that are in, like you know Clark and Perron are obviously just the like obvious obvious. You know Bernie was like the 
best couple goalies of his era. Oh yeah. Uh, and and Clark was obviously, despite his dirtiness, just like you know, I I think you know there are some people who consider despite what we said about Bob Gainey, there are some people who consider Bobby Clark the best defensive forward of all time, or at least the best defensive forward who could also score. Yeah. Uh, whether or not that's true is another story, but like it's still so they make sense. But it's just interesting to me that Barber isn't and McLeish isn't, given that Barber has like less stuff you can point to at least in the playoffs. I understand that McLeish was not always, uh, I'm not sure McLeish's best regular season actually, you know, equals Barber's. I, I'd have to look it up. Um, no, Barber had a better best season, a regular season, but like McLeish also had two excellent regular seasons, whereas Barber had one. So anyway, it's just, it's just interesting that these teammates you know, have fed, had two different paths, and I honestly don't know what to make of it or what to do about it. I just wanted to mention it because because I think it's weird. It's hard to say, right? Like, yeah, it's very hard to say. Um, I do think that like the the thing that Barber has going for him is offensively, he was, you know, the best left wing of the decade, maybe because like Steve, we know he had, uh higher points per game than Steve shot. Like he played, he scored more points and he played fewer games slightly, but still. Um, and, uh, I'm not sure who else it would be for the seventies, you know, like off the top of my head. I mean, certainly not. I know it's not Clark Gillis, despite <laughs> Clark Gillis having more first team all-stars. Um, I guess I could look at the, uh, the left wing all-star teams for the seventies and, and off the, just here so it's it's uh oh yeah johnny busick uh bobby hall but of course bobby hall soon left frank mahovlich who was old rick martin bill barber steve shutt clark gillies are the left are the you know left wings so like he's one of the very best left wings of the decade and that i guess argues for him being in the hall of fame at least offensively yeah. no like i was saying before i think positionally he gets in just because, you know, and it's, it's, I, th I think a little unfair to punish him for playing left wing when we know that they typically do score less. Um, you know, I, I think Ovechkin sort of being the anomaly, but he plays on his off wing so he can get off yeah. the big one timer. So I think that's changed. Uh, and, and he's actually played, you know, sometimes as right wing, sometimes as left wing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, a, a different situation. Whereas like, you think about the greatest left wings of all time, it's probably Robitaille. Yeah. Um, and he was very high scoring for a left winger, but if you put him against right well, wingers, Bobby centers, Hall. Then, yeah, well, that, yeah, that's, that's such a <laughs> tricky one, right? Because you forget about his numbers because he played in the WHL for so long. It's like, it just really throws, it, it, sorry, WHA, WHA, but it's like, yeah. it, it sort of throws off your remembrance of him being the left winger, right? Like, it's weird. It's really weird. I mean, I think uh, I think most people would say it's Bobby Hall, but yeah, Robitaille's yeah. got the numbers, right? Robitaille's yeah, that's got right, the, because, the yeah. career numbers. But still, Robitaille would be like number two, I think. And then and then you're talking about people like Frank Mahovlich and, you know, um, possibly Bill Barber. I don't know. It's it's uh, I should have I should have figured out where he ranks all time in left wing. It would have been help. <laughs> I guess I could I could probably uh, pull it off. Um, 
people just bear with me for a moment or two. I'm going to uh, tell us. The problem is hockey reference sometimes classifies players on their wrong. Ah. Because, so um, it's uh, goals. It's Ovechkin, Robitaille, Shanahan, Bobby Hull, Busick, Goulet. Oh, I forgot about Goulet. Uh, yeah. Keith Kachuk, Andrushuk, Kovalchuk, Gary Roberts are the top 10. Uh, Barber's 13th in goals currently. Of course, when he retired, he would have been, it looks like, first. Because, oh, Busick would have been first, sorry. Um, because the rest of those guys played after he did. Um, and then in assists, it's... Uh, and bear with me. And like you said, Vetchkin's kind of a weird case. It's Busick, Robitaille, Shanahan, Daniel Sedin, um, Zetterberg, Prop, Goulet, Ovechkin, Bobby Hull, Tange. Um, and that's in part... Like, again, all, all those guys, except for Bobby yeah. Hull, played, uh, and Busick played ahead of Barber. Or, or since Barber. So, and Barber's way yeah. down at 21st now, but like there's only a couple players who played before him yeah. who are higher than him on that list. So he would have been, you know, if, if I change it to when he retired. Um, sorry. Quality content right now. Just curious. I should have figured this out ahead of time. Um, yeah, so he's six all time in assists among left wings when he retired. And goals, he's going to be higher than that. He's third ahead of Mahavlish. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's he was when he retired, at least in totals, one of the best left wings in history, which does feel like third all time in points among left wings when he retired, too. Yeah. So, like, you know, if you, if you look at his career um, and, and then sort of when he was inducted, it makes a lot of sense that he's in. Yeah. If, it's, if you're it's, looking at it positionally, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If you're looking at it positionally, I agree. I think it really does. Um, and like, it's yeah. If you're thinking about like, we have to put these left wings in, even though we know historically, you know, they're uh, like he's fifth all time in goals per game among left wings at his retirement. Yeah, that's he's 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 got a pretty solid case when you look at it in that. Uh, yeah, when that, you look at it in that, that context, context, his co- yeah. his case is pretty solid. Okay, glad we sorted that out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't do that ahead of time. I sort of was like, ah, what does it matter? And then I'm like, wait a minute, I really should have figured that out. So so lastly, we have Gilles Perrault, uh, the uh, along with Hashik, I guess, the most famous Sabre um, ever. Uh, played from 70 to 87, 17 seasons, 16 quality. He was 12th all-time in goals at his retirement at 512. He was 8th all-time in assists at his retirement with 814. And 7th in points, which I did not know. With 1,326 plus 41, and that is in only 1,191 games, which is a lot less than 1,326. And he was 22nd in games played at his retirement, as well as 22nd in point shares at his retirement. It's worth noting that Gilbert was a passer. And so the fact that he's 22nd in point shares is some kind of impressive, because as we talked about many times, point shares likes goals more than it likes assists. Uh, He was also 14th all-time in offensive point shares at his retirement, and... It's worth noting he was 22nd all-time in assists per game and 19th all-time in points per game, again, when he retired. Now, he was drafted a couple of years before Barber in uh, in 70, and um, it's uh, it's not really close in terms of uh, the draft. Um, 
if memory serves. It is the Gilbert Perot draft. Uh, he was drafted first overall. He is first in goals. And he's first in goals by, well, I don't know, 30-ish ahead of Daryl Sittler. He is first in assists by over 175 ahead of Daryl Sittler. Now, Daryl Sittler did play in hundred, oh, slightly less than 100 fewer games, like 95 fewer games. Um, but, you know, like I said, he's 175 assists ahead of Daryl Sittler, not 100. And he's also uh, 200 points ahead of Daryl Sittler. Again, Daryl Sittler played in 95 fewer games than Joe Perot, so not enough to make a difference. Uh, Perot is also eighth in plus-minus in the draft. He is the he's fourth in point shares, but that is because this draft had a bunch of goalies, including Billy Smith, who we talked about a few episodes ago. And you know, Billy Smith is going to be ahead of Perot in point shares because of the way point shares work. And he's also first in games played. So he is, I think, with apologies to Daryl Sittler the best forward in this draft. I don't think anyone's competing. I mean, the other options are McLeish, funnily enough, Reggie Leach, and then you're down to, like, Mike Murphy, um, Dan Maloney, Errol Thompson. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is, it's not, it's yeah, not a yeah. good draft. It's not a good draft. Well, it's uh, it's, it's an old uh, point uh, that sticks in a lot of Canucks fans' craws because that, that, that was Buffalo and Vancouver came in and spun a wheel to see who would get... Uh, Oh, that's right. Yeah. Gilbert Perot, yeah. And it's like, wow, the the fortunes of the franchise could have been so different. Instead, we ended up with Dale Talon. Um, Yeah. Oh, there you go, right? (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you you could have drafted Reggie Leach um, now. Could have, yes. Yeah. That's that's not the Canuck way. No, no. Anyway. At least with Perot, like you knew he was a slam dunk, yeah, but yeah. we d- didn't Absolutely. get that first pick and have never had one since. <laughs> <laughs> In fifty something years, and Vancouver has been terrible for at least half of it. <laughs> Just the Nordiques were always worse, and the Canucks would always like win the last three games of the year to make sure we didn't get that pick. God, we're stupid. <laughs> so, air wise, of the fifteen skaters who played at least nine hundred eighty-four games or twelve modern seasons between seventy and eighty-seven. Perot is second in goals behind Dion, uh, third in assists behind Dion, and I honestly don't know, and second in points, again, behind Dion. He's 11th plus minus. He's second in offensive point shares behind Dion. He's ninth in defensive point shares as the fourth forward, and he's fifth in point shares, but the second forward. There's a bunch of defensemen, including Larry Robinson, ahead of him, and Pop Fan as well, I think, uh, and he's second in games. His 82-game average is a very impressive 91 points, but only plus three, and his three-year peak of 74 to 77 is a very impressive 107 points uh, plus 15, and that is per 80 games, not per 82. Playoffs, he was seventh, or sorry, 16th all time with 70 assists um, in playoff assists at his retirement. 103 points in only 90 games. So compare that to Bill Barber. He is Perot's playoff numbers are spectacular per game wise. Um, you know, though he was a minus, he is a minus 21. Uh, presumably in part because he was always the guy who was playing against the other team's best players. Um, He's at his retirement. He was fifth all time in playoff assists per game, which is pretty impressive. And he is currently eighth still. So that is, that is one of the things where I'm just like, wow, I did not know that he is 10th all time in playoff points per game to this day, despite playing, you know, half his career. No, slightly like two thirds of his career in the seventies rather than the eighties. Era of the, 
of the playoff era of the 73 scares playing 82 playoff games between 70 and 87. He's weirdly, he's 28th in playoff goals, but he's 18th in goals per game. So it bumps up a lot. He's 10th in playoff assists, which again, you're like, what? But he's second in playoff assists per game. He's 16th in playoff points, but he's sixth in playoff points per game. And he is second last in playoff plus minus. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, for whatever reason, uh, I guess he was getting terrible matchups, and he is 53rd in games played of 73. So he really, in part because his team was just, aside from those two seasons, that they were good, uh, quite good in the playoffs, his team was just not good enough. It's it's sort of like, it's tiny bit like Dion, only Perot really, really performed, and he played more. But he's still like, you know, his team didn't was not quite good enough, but obviously they were way better than the Kings. Um the adjustment for era hurts him. It bumps him down to 78 points per 82 games, but it's still he's still almost a point per game player, even with the adjustment for era for hockey reference. And it's worth noting that uh, the versus X adjustment likes him a little bit more. They they uh, keep his his numbers a little bit uh, higher, and it actually it doesn't quite make him a point per game, but he's he would be much closer. It would be like 81 points per 82 games or something like that. He was top five in heart voting only once. But he won the Calder. He won the Bing as well. He was a top five offensive player in 76. And he was a top 10 offensive player six times from 71 through 80. So that's like half of that decade. He was, you know, slightly more than half of that decade. He was a, a top 10 offensive player. He has two second team all-stars. So, you know, he, he's getting he's getting stuck behind uh, Dion in that, I think. Um, or or Trottier or somebody like that. Um he has only six all-star game appearances, just like Bill Barber and Fern Flamen. This is apparently the class of six all-star game appearances, uh, which is kind of funny. He was top 10 in goals four times, top 10 in goals per game three times. He was top five in assists per game. Or sorry, assists three times, top five, ten times. Or sorry, top ten, five times. Try to get that right. He was top five in assists per game once. He was top ten, five times. He was top five in points three times and top ten, five times. So he had five seasons basically, where he was one of the best defense players in the league. Uh, his best seven seasons with the versus X. Oh, I should also point out that he scored, he was very consistent. And so when he retired, he was one of the few players who had scored like, you know, like to say 70 points, 13 times, stuff like that. He was one of only five players to do that when he retired. Now only 13, for example. His wow. best seven seasons with the versus X peak, 124th all-time in goals, but 55th all-time in assists and 63rd in points. So that's a lot better than Bill Barber as, as a comparison. And best 10 seasons, 115th all-time in goals, but 46th all-time in assists and 49th all-time in points. So by that standard, one of the top 50 offensive players, at least as a uh, passer um, in the history of the league. He was the best player by points um, on the the Sabres that went to the comp, uh, the the semifinals in 80 so they would have yeah. lost to the flyers and he was the best player by nine points he outscored his teammates by nine points wow. and if i'm not mistaken that was in yes that was in uh 14 games so he had a run that year yep he was also only a top three forward on that sabers team that went to the stanley cup finals in 75 um, I'm just going to pull it up to see uh, whether it was Robert or Martin. So, uh, oh yeah. So um, actually he tied Rick Martin for the points lead, but generally speaking, the tie goes to the 
guy who scored more goals, and Rick Martin that year scored one more goal than him. So really, you know, really, I'm I'm cheating. You can say Perot was the best player, uh, yeah, in the set in the or skater anyway. I don't know um, how Don. Oh, that wasn't Don Edwards yet. He wasn't there yet. Um, yeah, the goalies don't look great. So yeah, you can say he was the best player. Also, he was at somehow on that team you were just talking about, Bill, the '76 Canada Cup team. Yep. Perot was a top three forward on that team in terms of points. So that goes to show you, um, you know, this is a man who, when he did go play international best on best, um, he he had a hell of a tournament. Um, he was also, it's also notable, he was in, in 81 on the Canadian team that lost uh, and came in with a silver, whatever you want to call it. Um, he missed three games, but was still given a tournament all-star award because he scored over two points per game in the three in the in the other game in the four games he played so that is the year that like that's the breakout Gretzky um if I just pull it up 81 Canada Cup um so so Gretzky I think scored 11 points if I'm not mistaken if I'll just so Gretzky had sorry Gretzky had 12 points five goals seven assists in seven games, Bossy had 11 Trotti had 11, Perot had nine but he only played four games. So he had a good tournament despite and then he got hurt, and then it's worth noting for people who do not like, um, you know there there's some there's some people I'm sure who who hold this against Perot to this day he left the Summit Series team mid series. Oh my! Yeah, so there's probably somebody out there who thinks that makes him a terrible person, and supposedly it was to get ready for the oncoming NHL season. But he left at a point when the when the Canadians were sort of at their worst, at their lowest. So that doesn't look great. But otherwise, uh, his his despite the fact he never won a cup, he sure looks good um, yeah. in terms of the. So so wait, that was the that was the '72 team, right? Yeah. Maybe maybe he just didn't want to go to Russia, <laughs> which I mean, given the given the political climate at the time, might yeah. have made sense, right? Like, yeah, could, it's entirely. But I don't hold it against him. I'm just saying I can imagine people do. Oh, because well, I, I don't know. People hold it against Hadfield, right? Hadfield. That's left. true, but Canada won, so I think that sort of took a lot of the sting out of it. If they yeah. had lost, I think people would still be all over that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough. So I mean. You know, we have two guys we really don't know what to do with, and then we have this no-doubter. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say. One of the best centers of his era. Um, still somehow on the playoff leaderboards in per-game stats, despite never winning a Stanley Cup and, you know, being on base essentially two good NHL playoff teams um, in total. Um and, uh, you know, I mean, this is a guy who, like, when the playoffs came around, at least offensively, sure showed up. I don't know anything about him as a defensive player. He has, you know, a terrible minus in the playoffs compared to his era. But point-wise, I don't know. He had, he had like, one playoff, I think, two playoffs where he scored under a point per game, his entire playoffs, maybe three. And other, you know, in 80, he had 21 points in 14 games, which is pretty good last I checked. Um, also, the, there's the fact that he just went to like these tournaments in '76 and '81 and just like scored like crazy, you know. 
Yeah. Oh, he's and a fantastic hockey player. Sure, he got like better linemates, you know, once he got right. there. But, but, like, I mean, I think there's there's no doubt. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Slammed Very up. controversial. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So to wrap up, uh, Fern Flamen, how you feel? Flamen, Flamen. I don't know. Uh, I I think the all those Norris nominations at the end of his career sort of show that he, you know, maybe was overshadowed earlier in his career and finally got his his just due as being one of the better defensemen of his era. So having having not seen him play and you know knowing that he made All Star teams and you know was you know was a was a maybe not that he got better but the players that were better than him earlier in his career just retired and finally let him get some of uh, some accolades I'd, I'd say he's okay being in yeah i think that like the the really tough thing with defensemen back then is that the norris trophy starts in whatever 53 or 54 whenever it starts and so before that you really have no idea no all you have is first and second team all-star basically yeah right that's basically all you can go by and he didn't even have those before that, but I do think you're right. I think looking at that, we sort of have to take their word for it. I know there are guys with fewer Norris Trophy nominations it, than him it, in the uh, Hall of Fame, and there are, there are defensemen with fewer second-team All-Stars in the Hall of Fame. Uh, so I got to say yes, despite not having any idea. Barbara, how do you feel? Yeah. Yeah, I think as, as if you look at him just as a left wing, I think he's got a solid case. Yeah, I agree. I I do. I think in a perfect perfect world, Hall of Fame. I'm I'm not so sure anymore. Yeah. Um, even though I do feel like you sort of do have to acknowledge the the weird history of the position. I'm really on the fence about that because I I feel like his like, you know, he basically he's basically in aside from being a left wing, he's in for like one really great regular season and one great playoff. But like, if you do acknowledge the history of the position, I think he has to be in and. Uh, so I'm perfect world, maybe not, but in this one, there's certainly way worse. We've talked about how many people in the last few episodes that we talked about who had a worse case than Bill Barber, right? Older guys. It's true. So, yeah. Uh, Gilbert Perot, really difficult question. I know. Uh, I'm going to say definitely. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I, um, I actually, I don't know a lot about him. And, you know, mostly know the the lore of the French connection and have actually spent more time looking at Rick Martin's case than I ever had him. And I was, I didn't realize how, quite how good he was, uh, at least offensively. Um, you know, I, I didn't realize he would be quite up there, especially in the playoff numbers. Like the playoff numbers sort of surprised the hell out of me. Um, but it's a testament to him. And the fact that he showed up on big stages is, you know, says a lot. Anyway, I agree. Slam dunk, I think, for him. All right, that's it for us this week. Uh, this episode, we are going to move on to the 90 uh, class next time. Um, and I honestly don't know off the top of my head who's in that. Oh, sorry, not 89. This is the 90 class. My apologies. Uh, the the 90, uh, the 89 class, and I, I do not know. I forgot to look. Um, so, so it's going to be a suspenseful... <laughs> In a couple of weeks or whatever. <laughs> um, anyway, so uh, thanks very much for listening, and we will see you next time.